You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. We were camping just last week, of course. Uh, As I said to you a couple weeks ago, we were going camping. We went camping and... um, we basically go to the beach and hang out at the beach all afternoon, and then at night we go back to watch the sunset. That's all. That's why I love a good camping. There's not. There's not really like a, a whole bunch of stuff you got to do, but uh, but there is kind of like your your breakdown of what a typical day looks like. But one of the days that we went to see the sunset. Of course, it's getting dark, and then coming back from the beach, you got to walk over the dunes and back to your campsite. The girls thought it was would be funny to run ahead, and as Nikki and I were walking back on the path, to try to find a hiding place so that when we would, you know, turn the corner, they would jump out and scare us. But it wasn't that dark, and so every time they tried to do this, Nikki and I would, you could see, like, Audrey's curly hair clearly waiting for you to, and then you could see the three of them trying to position themselves so that, and then when they jumped out, it was like, whoa, that is terrifying. Um, And then, of course, it broke into laughter and hugs, and they were hiding from us, but the the thing was, they, they actually wanted to be found, in some way, as that was, I was reminded of that this week as I was preparing this, that often, even my soul, and I'm sure your soul as well, the human soul in general, um, we are very accustomed to trying to hide from our God. You know, from the very first pages of the Bible, as soon as sin enters the world and shame enters the world, Adam and Eve, the picture of them, is so, what happens as soon as shame and sin enter the world? What do they immediate, what is their first response? What do they do? They don't talk, they don't sit down and have a Bible study. Okay, they, don't, they don't say, we should go to church. Let's sing how great is our God. What's the first impulse that, that happens? They hide from God's view. And it's a rather, to be honest, when you read through, it's a rather pathetic attempt at hiding, as if you could hide from creator God. And I feel like there's probably seasons, and I'm sure some of you here today, feel somewhat the same. You're trying to hide from creator God, who sees and knows all things. Somewhere deep inside of you, though, even though there's a dread of being seen, Somewhere deep inside the human soul, you actually long to be found. That's what it means to be human, is to be seen, not hidden. The purpose today, there's a passage that you probably know, of course. This is going to be our last week where we're going to be in Hebrews talking about rest. Next week, Cale St. John. I don't know if we've actually had you speak before at the church or not, but Cale St. John is going to be leading us through one more psalm consisting of kind of this rest called in in our series, Find Rest My Soul. This is the last one in Hebrews that we're going to be looking at before we launch into a fall series. But um, So if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. But these last couple verses as we've been going through, and I'll explain this in a second, 
these last couple of verses are, are maybe verses that, that you know well. You, you may have heard quoted here before. What you may not know is that they're here. Typically, you always hear these verses quoted in isolation from where they're found in the book of Hebrews. And even I, as I was going through this series and kind of mapping out, okay, so where, which verses am I going to speak on and when, I, I almost didn't realize that these verses were, were here embedded in this whole theme of finding rest in God. So if you would allow me, uh, I'm just going to read, this is the last one in Hebrews, so I'm going to read the entire thing that we've gone through. So starting at Hebrews 3, verse 7, I'm going to carry us down to where our verses are today. So let me read from starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, that's how it starts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, again, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses? With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? See, so we see that they who were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, in chapter 4, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed, enter that rest. As he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken, and this is what we looked at two weeks ago. This is back in Genesis 2, in the day of rest, in the Sabbath day of rest. Some were spoken of the seventh day in this, this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, and this is a third time he says these words, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest, as we've already looked at, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, this is what we looked at last time, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here's our verses today. Verses you may, have, you may know, but you may not have known that they're here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God, as we sit now underneath your word, these are even offensive words to us who want to hide from you. No creature is hidden from your word, from your gaze. We all are naked, exposed before you, the the parts that we don't want to show anyone, the parts that we don't even want to wrestle with ourselves. You see those things. And the great hope of this passage isn't that, that, you know, there's judgment at the end, but that if we come to you, there is love, there is grace for even the parts that we don't want to see. You see the darkest parts of our souls and still say, come to me. All you who are weary, I will give you rest. Parts that I don't even want to see in my own soul. You say, Aaron, come to me. I will give you rest. I pray for these things in your name. Amen. Why do we do this every Sunday? You who grew up in the church, this is normal, but to everyone else, this is super weird. That we sit under the teaching of this book every single Sunday, and hopefully even more than that. You could be out at Bellflower, just outside here, getting a coffee, talking with people, out for a walk. It's a lovely day, I think. I came here early. I'm assuming it's a lovely day outside. You could be outside walking around. It's a beautiful day. That's what everyone else is doing. But you're here doing something really weird, sitting under the teaching and just listening to these words found in this book called the Bible, I'm telling you, once you, hopefully you're not so much in Christian community that you don't know anyone who thinks this is weird, I'm telling you, as soon as you say that we sit under the teaching of the Bible every Sunday, if those who are not in church culture, they're like, what are you talking about? It's like alien language, like what is that? They might know a couple of verses like from a football game that they see John 3.16 on a sign, but past that, they've, why are you sitting under this? It's just a book. And yet, this book, there's millions of people throughout the world that are gathered. It's amazing to think about. Like Restoration Church is one of millions of churches that are gathered right now in English and Spanish and Swahili and Tagalog and all of the languages of the world to hear from this book. It's super weird. Nothing else compares to this. Most books like, have like, a, a time period where the author will come in a library and they'll read the book and they'll have a signing of it. Like, this is the weirdest thing ever that millions of people every week gather to hear from this book. Why do we do this ever? No one else does. No one does this. In fact, you probably hide the fact that you do this sometimes with your friends because they might find it super weird that you would do something like that. What we believe as a church, though, is that something special is happening when we gather to hear these words proclaim. And I said this in our prayer as our team as we were just preparing this morning. I believe our attitude every Sunday and, and and I need the Lord's forgiveness on this because my attitude certainly is not this every Sunday, but every Sunday our attitude should be that we anticipate that God is going to do something as we read his word. 
Because as it says in the passage, the Word of God is living. It's living. It's more than a book with a binding that comes from a living source, which is God himself, that spoke to ancient peoples and ancient cultures, but still speaks thousands of years later to you and I in the same way. That God, the living God, speaks through his living word. As well as, as I said, a diverse ensemble of peoples, millions around the world. I've said this before, and I'm going to say this probably again, because it's kind of one of the phrases of why we do this. I've said this before, but I don't, we don't just merely, whoever's speaking, we just merely write messages. We discover them throughout the week. I don't know Monday morning what this is going to look like every Monday. Colin gives me a hard time every time he speaks. He's like, I don't know why Aaron gave me this passage, okay? I don't know why Aaron gave me this passage. I just put it down, and there's a date, and there's, hey, you know, that's what God's going to show you. I, I, have no, I, I have no plan, really. Like, I kind of sort out, okay, so what that's going to, but every Monday morning when I look at the world, I have no idea what this message is going to be. So every week, we discover from God's word what he's going to say to our church. We don't just write messages. We discover them every single week because this is a living book from a living source. And I think the Spirit of God works as it's prepared, but as it's spoken in the church. Secondly, not only is this, not only do we not just write messages, but we discover them. Secondly, we don't just download content, right? I once heard a pastor say that. It's like, we, this is like, we're giving you content. If this is, I mean, like, don't listen to this. Like, there's so many better podcasts and preachers than me if this is just downloading content into your spiritual part of your brain. This isn't downloading content. But we ask you to come here to hear the proclaimed word of God because we're here to meet with God. This isn't just content that we're here. It's like, Aaron, I know I've got, I understand rest. That's not what this is about. We're here to meet with a living God. The word of God is living as it's proclaimed to us. I'm always struck by 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul speaks to the, the, Thess- the, the church of Thessalonica, and he says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God from us, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as, not as our word, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God is living. Secondly, the word of God is active. If we really believe these words in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God spoken, proclaimed, and communicated never does nothing. It always does something. It must change people's lives. You know, the word of God is active, or probably a, 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 a more accurate translation would be it's effective. It has an effect once it's, when it's spoken, when it's communicated things start to happen. It's effective in carrying out God's intentions. Isaiah 55, verse 10, 11, maybe verses that you know, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I always love Genesis 1 that we looked at in when we did our series in, in the image of God. But in the beginning, when it says there was chaos, there was nothing, Nothing, there was darkness, nothing existed. And then what happens? What happens? God speaks. He speaks. 
things start to happen. Order and beauty. From darkness and chaos, all of a sudden light, order, and beauty spread over everything in the universe because God speaks. Hebrews 1, at the beginning of this book, which we didn't look at, but says that God now speaks to us through who? Jesus. Jesus is described as the logos, the word of God. Like this is God, he is, he is in effect the intention of God here on the earth. So every time God speaks, things happen. It's effective in carrying out God's intention here in the world. The same effectiveness now speaks to us today to affect real change in our lives. This is why we read God's word, because we believe it's living and active through our church. God's word is, can't be static nor passive, but dynamic, interactive, and transforming as it interfaces with people. There's a fellowship in, in Canada called the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. It's <laughs> a pretty basic name. It doesn't have a cool name. It's just the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. It's, the, it's what it is. Um, it's kind of like the name, I always loved the garbage company, Waste Management. Like, there's no, you, you have no, like, you know, that's exactly what you are. You manage waste. You don't have a cool name. Um, they did a survey amongst churches, especially coming out of COVID and, you know, where committed believers were and what were the consistent trends. And this, this might be the most unsurprising thing possible, but the most consistent trend for committed faith was, what do you think? People who interact with God's word a lot. That's the number one consistent trend for those in committed Christian faith those who interact with God's word a lot, above everything else. So I don't think it's, I don't think that's shocking. That should not surprise us, that it, that a community that interacts with God's word a lot is committed in their faith, because God's word is living. God's word is active. That's what we do as a church. We sit under its teaching. We sit under his word as it's communicated to us. Here's practical three challenges before I get into this. This is not the end of my sermon. Usually I end off sermons like this, something. Here's a practical thing. Here's practical three challenges before we kind of get into the meat of the passage. Here's a practical challenge for you. Every Sunday message. I get it. They're not all home runs. You don't have to tell me that. Sometimes they're just base hits. Or sacrifice flies, even worse. (laughs) Or a bunt. (laughs) I get it. They're not all home runs. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, However, God's word is always proclaimed. If we believe, even if it's not a home run, God spoke to us. doesn't matter if Aaron, Aaron hit a home run. God's word spoke to us. We met with God. If we believe what Hebrews 4 is telling us, we met with God, and that's what's the most important thing. So every Sunday message, if God's word is proclaimed, you got something that you got to think about. I don't care if it's pre. I don't care if it preached was preached terribly. If God's word was read, you got something to think about because you met with God. God spoke to you that message. Okay, we all come out and be like, "Well, oh, that sucked. That sermon sucked." But if God's word was spoken, you met with God, and you have something you have to consider then. Okay. Maybe we should stop commenting on the sermon and comment about, like, what did God say to me, right? 
First challenge is this. One thing from every Sunday message. I don't care if it's Colin speaking, me speaking, you got Kale speaking next week. I don't care who it is. But Kale is, pre- Kale is going through Psalm 23, and you better have something you can take away from Psalm 23 next week. Okay? If you don't have something you can take away from Psalm 23, like you, I, not, I, don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. So the first one is that one thing from every Sunday message. You'll commit to discussing one thing with your community, whether that's a family dinner or a small group at home, you have friends over. Don't talk about football after. One thing from Sunday message. Here's how God spoke to me this morning. One thing. James is really clear. If you want to, be, if you want to move past just being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, actually having it affect your life, the hearer of the word looks at the mirror of the word, sees it, and immediately forgets what they saw. The doer of the word sees the mirror, considers it in their own life, and then applies it to their life. So that means that after the Sunday message, the best thing that you can do is take one thing, like this is how God spoke to me. What do you guys think about that? Or it can be a practical thing. It could be a question, something you didn't understand. I don't care what it is, but it needs to move past this time if you're to consider it in your own life. Okay, that's the first thing. One thing from the Sunday message. What did God say to you? You got to talk about it. Secondly, here's a little, here's a little uh, advertisement slash practical challenge. The pulpit can't be the only source. Now, that's an old-fashioned word, but the pulpit, and what I mean by that is the Sunday message, can't be the only source of discipleship change in God's word. You've got to hear God's word throughout the week. So we have coming up fall Bible studies, okay? We've got some rolling out next month. I challenge you to be a part of one of those, Okay? can't just happen here on Sundays. It's got to happen throughout the week to interact with God's Word, especially as you discuss it with other people. Fall Bible studies are coming up, so we're going to roll those out in a second. So just so you know, sign up for those. I challenge you to do that. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, and maybe the most important, is you, it is the tale, tale as old as time. It's going to be the, you know, the oldest trick in the book. Daily meditation in God's Word. There doesn't have to be anything like, you don't have to pull out off the shelves your, like, NIV study commentaries for those things. Just daily meditation, getting into God's Word, will change your life. It has to change your life. It has to. The Word of God is living and active. There's nothing else that you can do every day that will change your life more for the better in your faith more than meditation in his word. Bar none. Has to change you. Daily meditation. Colin suggested me or gave, I don't know, he didn't, he didn't give me, I had to buy it myself, so Colin didn't give this to me, I had to buy it myself, but he suggested it to me, which was a book called Be Thou My Vision. It's basically a daily liturgy. You can do that. There's so many resources. You can talk to me or one of our leaders after. They, I'm sure they got tons of resources. Best resources can be is just read Psalms in the Bible. That's typically what I do as well, but if you want some resources, one is called Be Thou My Vision. It is a daily liturgy. Or even to start, if you just want it, if, if you kind of just want the this, this start, Thursday morning meditation, every Thursday morning at 6.30, we typically have the same small group of people, but you are invited to be a part of that. We just meditate and pray through a psalm every single week. I don't even pick them, we just go through. But every day, as you meditate in God's word, you reorient who you are and your place in God's world and what is true and what is deceiving you, all of those you are confronted with as you meditate on God's word. And like I said two weeks ago, cramming is overrated. We are changed by habits in our life, okay? So 
you need to, it's going to be, a habit is always hard until it's not, until it just becomes a habit and part of your life. So if you're not daily meditating on, your, on God's word and say, Aaron, it's hard, you just haven't been doing it long enough, it's hard until it's not, until it's a part of your life, okay? That's all I can say. Some people it takes like a week and they've got it. Some people it takes three weeks. Some people it's like it's hard for a while until you just do it enough, it just becomes a part of your life and it will change you. That's typically where people end when it comes to these verses. God's word is living, it's active. That's what we mean when we quote this thing, quote these verses. But I'm not, this is not the end of the message. Because the question is, so what's it doing here? Why is it in this rest chapter? What's it doing here? Because all of this is true, all of this is good. Typically, though, this is presented in isolation from its place in Hebrews. And even I was surprised when I read through and be like, oh yeah, that's here embedded in finding rest. You're welcome to go back and if you've missed some of the messages and catch up, uh, it's all on YouTube if you want to watch it or on Spotify. If you just want to listen to it, you can go to the website and you'll see the link to Spotify if you want to listen to all of these messages to catch up. But the context as I read through is that the author of Hebrews uses the picture of God's people in the Old Testament. God brings his people out of Egypt, out of slavery of 400 years, Okay? And God speaks to them, and what does he say to them? I'm bringing you out, and I'm bringing you to what? A promised land, a place of rest, the place that you, where you'll be taken care of, you'll have everything that you need, where you will be with me, and you will enjoy what I give you. A place of rest, a promised land. I'm going to bring you to that place. Okay? That's where God brings them, and he leads them to the edge of this land, and they enter in, and everything's good, right? No, that's not the end of the story. They brings them to the edge of the land, the place of rest, and they stop. And then they see the problems that, are, that they're going to occur, the struggle that's going to occur, and all of a sudden the struggles seem bigger than the work of God, and they refuse to trust in his work. They don't enter his rest. So they spend 40 years wandering the desert instead. Now, all of this is not a history lesson, just so we know the people of Israel's history. The reason he tells us this is because the same thing can happen to you and I. God brings you out of slavery and says, I have, I have a place of rest for you. And you come to that edge and God says, trust me, trust in my work. And you say, no, I can do this on my own or the problems that I see in front of me seem bigger than what you can do, the provision that you make for me. Hebrews calls it a sort of disobedience that's a refusal to trust. So Hebrews says, strive to enter and do not fall into the same sort of disobedience. But we often can fall into the same sort of disobedience. We refuse to trust in God's work. So why is this here? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two double-edged sword or two-edged sword. Here's kind of the simple one, and then I'll kind of expound on it. As they stood at the edge of the promised land, they were way too casual in handling God's word. They were casual with God's word. God spoke to them and said, I have a place of rest for you. Trust me. But they were casual in handling God's word. If you, I'm not going to go through because you can look at the passage. I want to go back and rehash the same things. But when they got to the edge 
of the promised land, what did they do? They sent spies into the land. The spies came back and said, well, God wasn't lying. It's great, but we're, we're going to be killed. It's going to be too hard. We can't do this. We can't do what God is telling us to do. Underneath all of that was that other voices now were treated with greater influence among the people than the voice of God. Opinion, personal opinion, personal testimony was treated as more influential than God's spoken word to his people. And this can happen in our life. Uh, the voices we hear on TV, the voices we hear from the people around us can cause us to be, can cause us to be fearful, embittered. Trust me, bitterness spreads like gangrene in a, commun- in a bitter community, and everyone becomes bitter. Those voices, though, become more influential than the word of God. All of us are guilty of this at some point in our life, but that's what happens, Right? We are casual in handling God's word. And once God's word is treated casually, how do you trust it? Like it's just one voice among many. Instead of the voice to follow, it's one voice amongst many and it's impossible to trust in. Because the thing with the irony of those people is you can't be casual in taking over the promised land. They weren't going to just waltz in. There would be struggle there would be dark days, there would be obstacles that they would have to get over. But that's why they have to trust in God. Similar to following Jesus, casual is never part of Jesus' narrative. It's never part of his vocabulary. Be casual in handling my word. Jesus says crazy stuff. You think the Old Testament says crazy stuff? Jesus says crazy stuff. Like Jesus says, take up your cross. and There's nothing casual in that statement. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to hate your mom. Jesus said that. you got to hate your mom. And what he's saying is, in comparison to your commitment and faith to me, it's got to look like you kind of hate your mom, even though you don't really hate your mom. Do you, do you understand what Jesus... Jesus said that. There's nothing casual in Jesus' narrative, in his vocabulary, in following him. Because as soon as those dark days hit, man, if you're casual in handling his word, you're not going to trust him. If his voice is one amongst many, you're not going to trust in him. And so, like, when you read these words in Hebrews 4, you've got to ask yourself, it's like, which voice have I been listening in? Especially if you're casual in your faith and your faith is struggling right now, you've got to ask yourself the first question. is like, what voice has dominated my life this month? That usually points to how your soul is doing. You know, consider it. Like, what voice has dominated my month? See, when problems grow large, if you're casual in handling his word, you won't trust in him. Therefore, throughout this passage, as I read three times, that's why the author says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Like, here's God's voice. Don't harden your heart. Here is why I think we take it casually and why this would be the greatest error, though. And I, I mean, let me just say, I want to step back. I don't mean casual in a way that you might think. Casual is that you are, or, and what I kind of want to zone in on, is that you pretend to be not concerned. That's me. I, I tend to be casual, act like I'm not concerned, but I really am. You understand what I'm saying here? It's like the person who uses sarcasm, 
They don't just use sarcasm because they think they're funny. They use sarcasm to mask because they don't want to focus on what's really important. That's me to a T, okay? If I'm overly sarcastic, you can poke me. It's usually because I'm hiding something that I'm actually, I don't want to focus on. Don't think the sarcastic person just likes to be funny. Well, sometimes they do like to be funny. But usually they're using it as a way to hide what they're struggling with and what is really important in their life, right? You hear me? Any sarcastic people in the room? I'm sarcastic. Okay, you use it all the time. Okay, that's, that's me to a T. Like if someone asked, this, this was my life, man, when I was a kid. Someone asked me something serious, like turn it into a joke. Like get that out of my way. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to focus on what's really important. So when I say casual, it's not that, you know, you're just like, you don't want to, it's just like you don't see what's important. It's you don't want to. You know there's more important matters, but you don't want, to, you don't want them exposed to you. They're scary. I mean, this is the casual Christian, though. The main problem is not that they don't want to see. It's that they don't want to be seen. So we go to church half-heartedly, maybe an event here or there, and when it gets real and people start seeing us and we start to be too convicted, we back off. This is uncomfortable. Like, I'm being seen. I don't like it. That's the casual Christian, though. So if we're going to take this seriously, we must reckon with what God's word is. <laughs> and here it is. It's, a, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oof. And we got a joke to tell after reading that passage. You know, let's, let's move on to something, yeah, something less important than that. Wow. I, I've never experienced this, but I'm assuming a knife going through your flesh doesn't feel good. Those are pretty confronting and if you don't want to be seen, offensive words when the word of God is spoken to you. If you're afraid of being seen like Adam and Eve, who their nakedness in Genesis 1 wasn't just that they were naked, it was a sign of their shame. It says once they knew that they were naked, once they saw their own shame, they immediately responded to hide from God's, from God's view, from God's word. I mean, we do the same thing. We try to escape God's sight and others. It's possible, and I know this all too well because I'm very good at it, it's possible to hide in plain sight in church. It's very possible to hide in plain sight. Some of us are really good at playing the game of church without considering what's really going on in our own heart. How you doing, Aaron? I'm good. I've been at church. It's possible to hide in plain sight. Uh, it's like a medieval map, though. Andrew would know this because he likes old stuff. Uh, it's like a medieval map. Like they, they only knew to a certain boundary of what was out there, right? So they have cities 
I'm reading the book. We're reading the kid's book, Heidi. So the word Frankfurt, like you have a city, Frankfurt, but it wouldn't exist in medieval time. I don't know, maybe it would have. But you have the cities that existed at that time, and here's this mountain, you know. But beyond what they knew, it was just kind of like, you know, a boundary. And then what they would do in medieval times is beyond the boundary, they would put things like, here be dragons, you know, like, because they didn't know, right? Like, they didn't know what was beyond what they knew. Like, here be dragons and wild beasts, because they had no idea what was beyond those boundaries. It had never been explored. And in some ways, we see ourselves the exact same way. Like, the unexplored dark places, we're even scared to look into themselves. Like, here, here be those dragons that I don't want to even look at. And if someone sees me in those unexplored places, man, they're going to see the same wild beasts. It's scary. The unexplored recesses of the human soul. They're scary. What makes it worse is that maybe someone, unfortunately maybe in the church, has once expressed love and care until they actually saw your unexplored places in deep recesses of your own soul, and then all of a sudden, that changed. They loved and cared what they were comfortable with, but not the dark parts of your life. Until they knew you. God's word, though, is a double-edged sword. It's not afraid to, when it says, divide or discern between joints and marrow and soul and spirit. Now, I don't believe this, like it's trying to give a physiological or theological lesson. You know, I think the point is not actually not even a military sword. I think the point is actually more of like a fishing knife. You know, when, a fi- when you catch a fish and you have the fish and immediately you start, you know, hacking it up. You know, you've got to split the bones from the, the meat from the bones and the, the joints and marrow and all of those things. And the weird thing about fish is you cut them up and they're still all moving in your hand, all the pieces. It's really weird, but that's beside the point. But you're, that, that's kind of the picture. It's like you're laid bare, exposed before the Word of God, pulled apart all of the dark parts of your life that you want no one else to see, but that's the Word of God does. It exposes all of those things right before your eyes. It brings to the light what was always in the dark your real innermost self. God's word penetrates human resistance into your real most innermost self, your thoughts, your intentions, your attitudes, not just your service, not just your tithing, not just your attendance, but your thoughts and intentions and attitudes that no one else can see what's going on. God's word sees, brings to the surface. That's why Psalm 139, man, Lord, you search me, you know me, you know every part of my being more than I'm even comfortable with. So why do we need this? Even though we resist being seen, somewhere deep down inside as human beings, we all long to be known. I can't get into this because I know I'm running out of time. Nikki, what's the book called that we just, I just started reading? I can't remember the name of it. It's an awesome book that you should read. Uh, she's, there's several books that we're <laughs> reading right now, so she might not. We all long to be known. It's all about being known. You can be alone in a crowd. I'll get that to you afterwards. We'll circle back. Circle back. Let's just circle back later. Uh, One of the greatest issues of our culture is that all of us or many people feel like they're in a crowd. They have many acquaintances but not really known. And it's literally, this is true of a lot of people, uh, it's literally killing us not being known. 
not just through suicide, but through, ang- through harsh anxiety causing heart disease, all of these things. The feeling of being alone and surrounded by people, but no one knowing you is a pandemic amongst especially the younger generation. And it is literally killing them. Being seen is where we actually come alive and become human again. Even though we don't want to be seen, being seen is where we come alive and become human again. And what I love about this passage is that God sees you, knows you, whereas maybe you've had examples where it's like, I love you, Kale, but now that I see you, I don't know if I love you so much. God's word is different. He says, I see you, I know you, I see the darkest parts of your life still come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. I want you. Come to me. Being seen is what we dread, but what we need more than anything, specifically in the area of rest. And again, I can't talk about this too much, but rest specifically goes beyond surface external religious observance straight to the inner reality of whether we trust in Jesus or not. You know, you can do great things for God, but be unwilling to get into the soul. Greg, can you do me a favor? Run my phone up here for me, because I do have a quote on my phone that I'd like to read. You can long to do great things. Not Sorry, yeah, there's two Gregs that I looked at there. <laughs> sorry, man, thank you. Uh, you can do long to do great things for God. Be like, I'm going to do amazing things for God, but be unwilling to explore the darkest recesses of your own soul. And yet the call of Jesus requires, in fact, it need, you need it more than anything. Following Jesus, maybe the biggest journey that you're going to be on is into your own life. The forging of a real-world faith means not only that one follows Christ into the heavenlies to meet with God, but that one follows Christ into the corridors of one's inner space in order to develop the spirit of Christ's likeness. This is why you need to explore your own soul. And Christ's likeness in the inner life means an advancing knowledge of one's inner self and a growing ability to master it. The great sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, serves as our guide in following Christ through the inner corridors of our heart. This confrontation by God's living, piercing Word begins and must be a trademark of the true life of every believer in Jesus. You may, have, you may even recall instances. I've spoken to many of you. I remember Emilio's testimony when he was sitting under the preaching of God's word and all of a sudden, boom, it struck him in the heart. Like you might be sitting completely unawares then all of a sudden you hear the words of Jesus, pray for your enemies, boom, knife through your heart. You might be sitting struggling in your marriage and all of a sudden it says lay down your life for your wife, boom, knife through your heart. You may be sitting there weary of religion. Boom, come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. It's not a knife in the back, but it is a knife straight through your heart. Painful one, but one that you need more than anything. 
as it says at the end, uh, all, no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to his eyes. That word exposed or laid bare, it's a wrestling term. Literally, it's almost the picture is like being put in a headlock or like you're, you're, you tap out, right? Someone's got you, I don't know, an arm bar, whatever you call those things. And Yeah, thank you. Full Nelson. No, I, I don't think they use full Nelson. And, and, and maybe they do. I don't know. But they've got you in a headlock and you're tapped out. That's what it means. You're exposed, laid bare before God. You're in complete submission to him under his word. It's not to hurt you, though, but it's to heal you. That's why it says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I think right now is the time, I'm going to close, right now is the time, like, this could be another message, just go home, great sermon, Aaron, please, that's fine to say, but I want to hear about it, okay, I want to hear about it, if you're going to comment on the sermon, have something to comment on, it's fine to say great sermon, Aaron, but, but, what is God saying to you? Give you, give you a couple minutes right now. Think about it. Maybe there are some of you men that you, your heart has been cold. You've been hiding from God. Like my kids running ahead on the pathway, hiding, but you know you can't hide from God, brother. You know you can't hide from God, sister. He's calling you back again today. Come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. I see you. I see your faithlessness. I see your selfish, selfishness. I see your failures, your faults. I still want you. 